welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Last week, uh, John Mark uh, Comer, a guest, uh, came and talked about, uh, arguably, uh, not just in our age, but in in the first century, um, one of the most controversial of the gifts was the gift of speaking in in other tongues, languages that you had not learned, uh, in prayer and praise, typically. Um, And so we, um, uh, and by the way, if you haven't had a chance to listen to the podcast from last week, listen to it. Uh, I've grown up as a classical Pentecostal, uh, and I don't know that I've heard as crisp, clean, clear, uh, and accurate as, uh, 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 an exposition of what is actually going on in that uh, gift, uh, as, as you heard last week. So uh, I'd invite you into that. This morning I get to talk about <clears throat> another one that has been uh, largely misunderstood, but for different reasons, and that is the gift of prophecy. Uh, and the, the challenge with this one is that the language of prophecy, uh, unlike any of the other gifts, really runs through from the Old Testament all the way through the New. And the challenge is to say, okay, is it the same? Is it different? How does it, how does it, how does it morph as we move into the New Testament era? What was its function in the Old Testament? Are there parallel functions to that in the New Testament? Uh, when somebody claims to be a prophet, can they actually do that? Can somebody get a business card that says profit on it? Is that okay? Um, how, does that, how does that actually work? We have schools of the prophet, in the uh, prophets in the Old Testament. We have various entities now promoting schools of the prophet. Are they the same thing? Uh, and I'm not going to try and answer all of those questions today, but I do want to say that the, the, the gift of prophecy says something very important to us. And that is that we don't serve a God who is distant. We don't serve a God who can't and won't communicate. We serve a God who can, in fact, speak directly into the lives of his community, into the lives of his church, through individuals uh, who open themselves up and submit themselves to the authority of the community, to the authority of the Spirit, to speak those words. I love the fact that God is not silent. I love the fact as well that he has provided us in the scripture a means to measure whether what we are hearing is from him or not. The scripture, the character of Jesus is A440. For those of you musicians in the house, you know what I mean. That's the frequency by which we tune the rest of our, the instruments. If, if one instrument is tuned to A440 and another one isn't, it's not difficult to tell that it's out of tune, right? Similarly, when we hear a prophetic word, even one that starts, thus saith the Lord, as was typical in my upbringing, if it doesn't resonate, if it doesn't harmonize, with what else we're hearing uh, from the scripture, then we are appropriately wise in rejecting that. Okay? Uh, So that said, I want to uh, look at this uh, uh, to remind you as well that the gifts of the spirit have as their primary purpose the edification, the building up, the, the maturing 
of the body of Christ, the local church, individually and collectively, uh, and they see their main expression in the local church. Um, Usually, uh, prophecy uh, is anchored in the written word. So it functions very much like preaching, which is why, one of the reasons why I make a distinction, maybe inappropriate, but I think it's helpful for me to think about this, between preaching and teaching. Uh, preaching is uh, uh, moving towards life change. You ought, at the end of a sermon, have a decision to make. Uh, as opposed to teaching, the goal of which is the communication of content, at the end of which you're more informed. Now, both of them may call you to a, ch- a, a decision, right? But the goal of preaching is decision. What are you going to do about this? The goal of teaching is now you know. Now you have an understanding of that. So, so when people ask me to come and be a teacher in a place, I always want to verify. Now, do you want me to teach or do you want me to preach? Because I can do both. But on a Sunday morning, I'd prefer to preach. I'd prefer to bring a word from the Lord that calls people to action. Do you, do you feel the difference there? Uh, and again, it's not radically different. And I love the freedom that we have here. Uh, we, we, and we use those terms interchangeably. Uh, unfortunately for me, I, I love words. And so they mean things to me. And so I I am still contending for awesome, uh, and I'm losing that battle, unfortunately, but I think it's still worth fighting. We're going to go down fighting. Um, But the goal of preaching, prophetic preaching, a delivery of the word of the Lord based on the text of Scripture into the life of a community that calls the community to account, that is in some measure the work of prophecy. It's not the only measure, but it speaks most directly to two aspects. In the Old Testament, uh, prophets often were the people on the, what I think of as the inside of the outside edge. You, you with me? So, so here we have a, have, a, have a circle. And in the center of that circle are maybe the, the, the priest, the king, the people, Right? And the prophet is the one just on the inside of the outside edge of that circle. And that distance enables them, looking through the lens of the word of God, looking through the lens of their experience with God, to critique and comment on, for the sake of health and wholeness, what is happening in the center. Because I think you probably know that when you're in the center, it's easy to get self-congratulatory. When you limit the voices that are speaking in, and you only tune your ear to the voices that say what you already believe, it's not long before this sense of self-congratulation, this sense of self-revelation begins to define reality. And that's one of the reasons why in, from the very beginning of the monarchy, particularly in the Old Testament, you have this person who everybody hates because he rarely ever will say or she rarely ever will say what the king and the ruling power wants them to say. 
They're standing on the inside. They're still part of the community, but they're on the outside edge of the inside so that they have a bit of objectivity that is born in them and allows them then to speak into and critique what the king is doing. And often God will download knowledge of what the king not is only doing, but thinking into the minds and hearts of those prophetic voices so that they have a validation. This person is speaking, he's reading your email and is able to speak, therefore, with crisp clarity, anointed by, sent by the Holy Spirit, sent by God to enable the community as a whole, the people of God, to maintain health and wholeness. Now, as you can imagine, people usually killed prophets. Because when you're in the center of power and you found a way to leverage the power of your position and you've paid people to tell you what you want to hear, because there's something magical about getting elected king. There's something magical. It, it, do, do you know what I mean? When you, when you move into that center, of that, and it's no, it's no different whether it's political or spiritual or religious, let's say that. It's no different. When I get to that position where people actually seem to respect me because of my position without knowing anything about my character, you see what happens? And then I, then I fire, or in the Old Testament, execute everybody who disagrees with me or who speaks against what I'm thinking. Then all of a sudden, my advisors think I'm the smartest man in the room. And it's not long before I begin to believe that. And then all of a sudden, some strange person catapults an email over the transom that drops into the center of our otherwise orderly rule of law. And it contradicts my power or my position or my personality or my personhood and calls me into question. I have unlimited power. What do you think I'm going to do to the person who speaks that kind of negative critique? And there are all kinds of ways, both Old Testament, New Testament, and contemporary age, of assassinating the prophet. So it's, don't, don't, if you, you want to keep friends, don't ask for prophecy. Because there's a very good chance that you will find yourself on the out. Very good chance. Right? Because you speak an inconvenient truth to the center of power. So in the Old Testament, these individuals uh, uh, were, 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 had, had an independent voice. They were a part of a team of three, typically, who God asked uh, to, to, as, a, as a system of governance to set up uh, his, his community. Prophet, priest, and king. And each three, each of those three had a particular role. There was a checks and balances between them. And they were intended, the king was not, the supreme authority. The king was appointed by God. God was the supreme authority. The king didn't speak for God. The prophet spoke for God. And the priest spoke for the people to God. So it was a beautiful system of checks and balances that unfortunately took too many notes from the surrounding nations. And soon the king became the supreme authority. Soon the king became the divine voice. Soon the king became, in some cultures and 
in some measure in Israel, even the voice of God. Just see what happens. And then, you, and then the prophets are trying to bring, whether it's Elijah or Elisha or Isaiah a few centuries later or Jeremiah or, or any of the other prophets, they're trying to speak into and correct, right? And, and find themselves not just now on the inside of the outside edge, but on the outside. Uh, it, it, the kingdom gets redefined to include me and my friends. So this is a, a, a obviously a challenge because what then the king did was appoint professional prophets whom he then paid. And as you can imagine, that makes that less independent. If you're if you're dependent on the king for your livelihood, and in some instances now for your life, you will rarely speak negatively to the king. Does this sound at all familiar? Right? So here we have a, a, a legitimization of the discipline of spirit-empowered critique based on the character of the prophet who can speak into the life of power and be willing to pay the price for that prophetic word. So that's the Old Testament foundation for this gift, right? As we move into the New Testament, we see parts of that image picked up. Uh, the uh, one who speaks uh, a voice, a word from God to the community, still present, but not now just to the leadership of the community, that has been disseminated to those who have gifts. It's no longer, and unfortunately, in the New Testament era, it was beginning to happen again, where we made the pastor the CEO, the new king of this community. That's not the role of the pastor, not biblically. You with me? It's intended to be ruled. The church has a head. His name is Jesus. Everybody else, not the head. Everybody else has positions not based on their personality or power, but based on the gifts that God has given to them. And the Holy Spirit then gives gifts to people, as he wills, to build up the body, to equip, and then there are some people who are given as gifts to the community, for the purpose of helping people identify and move into their gifted service both inside the church and as the church in the world, remembering that about 85% of the spiritual gifts in any given congregation are intended to be used outside as the church in the world. Do you see where we're going here? So, so you have these people now, and this parallels the prophet back in the Old Testament, who are not the pastors, that roughly parallels the priestly role in the Old Testament, who are not the bosses. In fact, leadership and pastoring are rarely connected biblically. Leadership is a separate gift. They may be the same, may be the same person, but not always. The, 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 it seems to me that the biblical model for leadership in a church is a team model. Where, where, where various persons work and speak into this, it's really awkward. It doesn't move the boat as fast, right? But it tends to echo the understanding that we're all in submission. 
We all listen. We're all trying to discern what God is calling us to do. It's one of the reasons why I love working with Darren, candidly. He's not here, but I can say this, right? Because from the get-go, there is an awareness of anointing as the pastor of this community and a willingness to listen to voices that push back, that resist. I love that because I've been in other places where I'm now not on the inside of the outside edge, but on the outside of the outside edge. Do you know? Um, and okay, it's not my not my 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 job. At least they didn't kill me. <laughs> it's a good day. So so that's that's the the primary and the primary way. So you, so you have look here in for, if, uh, Ephesians chapter four, verse eleven where uh, the risen Christ gives to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. By the way, that last phrase, pastors and teachers, is a hyphenated, so it's pastor teachers. That's the primary way by which soul care is provided, is in the, is in the teaching. To equip his people for works of service. Why? so that the body of Christ, the church, may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So people, apostles, prophets, pastor teachers, evangelists, are given to a community for the sake of building up that community until at the end of the day, it looks more like Christ than it did five years ago. Its character is shaped by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, self-control, gentleness, these fruit of the Spirit that are the thumbnail sketch of the character of Jesus. So one of the hopes for, for the garden, one of our metrics in terms of how we're doing is whether, as a general rule, our community is more characterized by love and patience and joy, etc. Do, do you see what we're after here? By the way, if you want a good metric for how you're doing, sitting with the Holy Spirit, ask yourself, am I more loving, kind, generous this year than I was three years ago? Because if the answer is no, then you need to start to think through what's going on. If the answer is yes, it's like, okay, we're... we're Christ is being formed in me. That's what ought to happen. If you come to the garden for three or four or five years, at the end of that three or four or five years, you ought to have a character that has over time been formed more and more to Christ's likeness. It's one of the jobs that I have, one of the jobs that Darren has, one of the jobs that our staff has to equip and release you then into that ministry. And the prophet then is that person who speaks primarily through a sermonic content, the word of the Lord, both biblically and as informed by prayer into the life of the community. Did you hear what I did with the offering earlier on? Did, this is the audience participation <laughs> portion of the sermon, right? That was, a, that was a prophetic challenge. It was taking the word of God and speaking it into a contemporary situation and a, and, a, and a call. Now you have something to do. You can roll your eyes. That's probably not a biblical response, but you can do that. Right? Or you can say, Jesus, how am I doing? 
Where are the gods of the age that I'm worshiping? Am I on good track here? And it, don't be surprised if he says, no, you're, you're fine. You're fine. We're good. But don't also be surprised if he says, you might want to think, look at this. Do you see? It's, I don't know what you're doing, but he does. I'm, you're not accountable to me. Thank God. <laughs> right? But you are accountable to him because he's the Lord of the church, and you all are not. How are we doing? We doing good? All right. So that's the one aspect. Now, in addition to that, this is the beauty and wonder of a charismatic, small c charismatic, spiritually gifted community. Sometimes, in addition to the professionals, God has a word that he wishes to speak to individuals or to the community at large. And then he says, he gives gifts to a person, a, a gift of prophecy to a person in the community to speak into that same purpose, same outcome, which we'll look at it in a second, but he gives that person that gift in real time to speak guidance sometimes, direction sometimes, correction sometimes, edification sometimes, all of these various purposes. Same, but this individual who speaks that is not a prophet. They are one who has received a word of prophecy. So here it is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We've read this passage before, but just to set it in context. As to each one then, each one, did you catch that? A manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To somebody, there's given uh, the Spirit a message of wisdom. They have the ability to disambiguate complex situations and help us boil it down to clarity. To some, a a, 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 a word, a message of knowledge. They know things that are helpful that they didn't learn, that they received by revelation that helps us as a, as a community. Sometimes, and they're given that by the, by the Spirit. To another faith, the ability to stand in a deeper reality than some of the rest of us are able to stand in. To some, uh, in that moment, uh, gifts uh, of, of, of healings. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, the discernment or distinguishing between the three predominant spirits that speak to our age. The spirit of man, the spirit of, of evil, and the spirit of God. We need anybody else helpful for discernment? Boy, I'll tell you, sometimes you gotta, you got you to gotta be discerning. Thank God that he sent and given us capacity and sometimes individuals to help us make that discernment. Uh, uh, to another, uh, different kinds of tongues and to another than the interpretation of those tongues so that in community they are not just prayers to God but prayers on our behalf. We can celebrate the worship that is offered up in that moment. So he's given a gift for a specific person, a specific moment to a person who then speaks God's word for that moment or situation, they are not recognized as one of the gifts of the people, but they, I love how God has a way of coming in sideways. It's, you're not the official spokesperson, but I still have somebody that I want to speak into the community. So what does this look like in practice? Well, sometimes it looks like uh, one of you having a sense that God wishes to speak to our community, speak to our congregation, and maybe you'll come and check with John or Darren or, 
or, or one of our staff, and this is what I'm sensing. And if there's a resonance with that, it's like, yeah, we need to hear this. This is something that God wishes to speak to us. Usually it'll probably be in a, in a community church model where there's a smaller um, uh, circle and we know character enough to be able to trust uh, that that is not a, a, a word of self-promotion, but a word that speaks to us uh, from the community. Because, and, and Paul had this problem in Corinth, as you know, this is probably the most crazy charismatic congregation in the history of the world. And the concern was particularly the way Gnosticism, this hyper-spirituality uh, that, 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 that elevated certain spiritual gifts above others, made people believe that because I could do this, and particularly speaking in tongues, I'm thereby more spiritual than anybody else. And Paul just wants to say, uh, time out, first of all, it has nothing to do with you. Second, speaking in tongues is only useful in a community if somebody interprets it. It's not a sign of superior ecstatic revelation. It's one among many gifts that the Spirit gives to people to help the community build itself up, not to build. You can be edified by it, but the purpose of your being edified is to edify everybody else. Do, do you see what he's doing here? And so similarly, he would speak into this community and say, the spirit of prophet, let's be clear, subject to the prophets. You can't just say whatever you feel like and say, thus saith the Lord. No, you get, you get a vote in this. You get, a, you get to say, this isn't the right time. The, the, I've been in services, maybe some of you have had, in, in which somebody just spoke out at loud volume from a place in the congregation and disrupted the entire entire setting, not in a way that's good. I've been in another place, in other times, in other places where similar thing, and it was disruptive for the sake of good. And Paul wants to be clear, as we can, if we were to continue on into 1 Corinthians 14, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. She can choose not to speak, which gives us a clue as to how we ought to handle it if we think that we are, oh, as I pray for the church, maybe, or as in worship, I have a word, right? Okay, what do I do with that? Well, the first thing you do with it is ask Jesus what to do with it. The difference between an immature prophet and a mature prophet is that the immature prophet feels the necessity to speak everything she or he hears. A mature prophet says, Lord Jesus, what do I do with this? Because sometimes the prophetic Gifting is an invitation to intercession. It's an invitation to pray. Because that's the most powerful thing you can do. Not speaking, praying is the most powerful thing you can do. And to the degree to which we resist that, that's the degree to which we don't understand yet the power of intercession and prayer. Talking to God about a particular situation of which you have now spiritual insight and knowledge is always more powerful than talking to the community about that very same situation. Out of that intercession, you might be done. If you follow the Old Testament prophets as an example, sometimes all they did was pray. Sometimes out of their prayer, they were encouraged to speak to the community in words, in symbols, in poems, in songs, in art, in, 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 a, in a live theater installation, in a, in a broader community. Sometimes they did that. 
So they would ask, what is it out of this intercession, out of this awareness, what is it that would be useful to build up the community as a whole or the individuals in it? And again, this is assuming a character that can carry the weight of this word. And then as you listen with the heart, maybe it will be time in the context of a worship place or a house church gathering, uh, uh, similar to what we do in prayer training. Maybe at, at the end of our service, we'll create some space for people to come and receive prayer and maybe to receive a word, right? Now, what do you do if you hear a word from somebody else? Because remember, just because somebody says, this is what I'm sensing, this is what I'm feeling, this is an image I have, it does not mean that that is an image that comes from God. You are responsible to discern whether that's from God. So one of, the, one of the markers for me always is, does it resonate with what God is already speaking to me? This is going to be one of the key, key pieces, right? Because guess what? God doesn't just speak to us through other people. doesn't even speak to us primarily through other people. He speaks to us primarily through our own heart, through our own heart language, the primary voice by which God will speak to you is often your own voice. Who else's voice would he use? Right? It's a thought. It's an impression. It's a word that you hear. It's an image you get. Right? And then somebody says, I don't know what's going on. I have this image or this picture, this word. And bang, it's identical to what you have been praying and hearing and sensing on your own. Or it resonates with it. Oh, boy, yes, yes, yes. A thousand. And it's not hard. Right? If it's in tune, it's not hard to tell if it's out of tune. So I can hear that as God's word. I, 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 you know, I had the, uh, I'm speaking in chapel uh, at the university on Thursday. Halfway through my sermon, I had a clear sense there's somebody here that needs to be addressed on a specific issue. It did happen to tie into my sermon, but I called out uh, in, in our community, there's, there, there's somebody here who's had one or two abortions when you were 14 or 15, 16 years of age, and you feel that that abortion disqualifies you from discipleship. And I need you to hear me say from this place, that not only does not disqualify you, that is useful to Jesus in the kingdom. Bring it. Bring whatever shame, let's get rid of that, so that that painful gift can be offered up. Yeah? I'm talking to 18 to 22-year-olds. What in the world? In a Christian college, really? I had a line of folks. Oh, that was for me. Okay. Is it come I'm extraordinary spiritual? No, 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 no. You clearly know that. <laughs> it's because Jesus wants to love on his kids. He wants to invite us into a deeper reality than our cookie-cutter box, right? So, so does it resonate uh, with, what you're, with what you're hearing? Does it resonate with what God is, 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 is speaking? Um, uh, if it doesn't resonate, if it doesn't, oh, that's weird. I don't know where that comes from. Anybody have any of those kinds of things happen? Everyone's like, what in the world? That's just completely off. Okay, don't discount it right away. Does the character of the person 
who spoke it provide adequate foundation for you to think, oh, could be they got it wrong, but maybe I need to hang on to this for a bit. Just, you see what I mean? And again, just because somebody says something does not mean I have to do anything with it. Here's the deal. If it really is a word from the Lord, whose job is it to actualize it into reality? It's the Lord's job. So here's Mary's response. She didn't have a prophetic word. She had an angel. I mean, if, if you're going to doubt something, right? But here's an angel. And what does she do with it? Hmm. Well, nothing I can do about this. So be it under me as you have said. It surrendered, but did not take any steps to actualize it and spoke to no one about it. Just, just, that's the merry response to these things that come in that don't huh, seem to make sense, right? So then you listen. Then you listen. Then you listen. Maybe it'll come a second or third time. By the time it gets to three, even you should start to pay attention. Because it could be that the reason it doesn't resonate is because you've walled off that part of your soul from the voice of Jesus. Yeah? I had somebody a few... Uh, a couple of years ago that um, had heard a prophetic word. You probably should think seriously about preparing for vocational ministry. You are clearly gifted as a pastor. And because of their negative experiences in church, because of their uh, uh, fear of that, just clearly rejected. No, it's clearly not the case. Clearly not the case. By the time they'd heard it three times from three different sources, completely unrelated to one another, it was like, mm, I probably should pray in at least to what my resistance to hearing this is. Do, do you see? Now, Jesus is so good and so gracious. If you miss it the first time and it's really important to the kingdom that you get it, he, he knows how to get through to you. He can write stuff on the wall in flames. <laughs> Even you couldn't miss it. Right? And it's his job to do that. It's his job to do that. God's will for your life is not a needle in a haystack that you have to find. God's will for your life is the pursuit of God in Christ, seeking his kingdom, his righteousness, everything else. If you do that, it pretty much doesn't matter what you do. If you don't do that, it pretty much doesn't matter what you do. Are you with me? So if you have that sense... And, and you're willing to, to respond to it and just hold it, right? But on the other hand, let's be clear, there are some people who are speaking prophetic words who just get it wrong, right? In the Old Testament, if you were in a position of prophet and you spoke a false word about the future, which was usually based on your looking at present time through the lens of what you knew from God's history. Does that make all, all make sense? Very rarely did prophets in the Old Testament speak about future events. Uh, it, it, it does happen, but rarely. When they did, most of the time, it was because they were looking at current events through the lens of Scripture and saying, based on what God has said here, based on where we are now, the trajectory is disaster. That's what foretelling looked like in the Old Testament. Similarly, in the New Testament, rarely about future, there are times, and by the way, if they got it wrong, they died. 
So you don't, you don't want to be saying stuff. The word told me this hurricane or that flood or this the, is <laughs> Yeah, Be careful what you're saying. Because God pays real close attention to those of us who speak in his name. I think you're aware damage can be done. So that's why it needs to be subject to the community. It's one of the reasons why when I finish preaching, I always I want to listen. Okay, did I miss something? Does anybody have anything for me? Clarification, correction. Sometimes they do. I got it wrong. Oh, okay. Right? You with me? On the other hand, sometimes you just get it wrong, and then you can just let it go. Heard a prophetic word. I, a girl in Bible college. God's told me that we're supposed to get married. She said this to me. And it was like, well, as soon as he tells me, I'll get back to you. <laughs> you don't get to be God's voice in my life without God. Res- do, do, do you see? And you just let, let it go. Lovely person, just wrong. Just wrong. Does that ever happen in things less serious than who you're going to marry? <laughs> of course it does. That's why we don't get all about this. We just relax. The Holy Spirit knows what he's doing. Relax. It's okay. Right? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.